Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. A mother mouse and a baby mouse are walking down the street. Suddenly a cat jumps out and is about to pounce on the mother mouse and baby mouse. The mother mouse turns toward the cat and goes, ruff, ruff. And the cat runs away in fear. Mother mouse looks at baby mouse and says, see, I told you it was good to learn a foreign language. (laughs) (laughs) Why was the mother firefly so happy? Because her kids were so bright. Ah. Welcome to Harvest Ridge. It's Mother's Day. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that we have a Mother's Day because every one of us in this room, you ready for this, would not be here except for a mother. So can we just take a second and we just give all the moms a big hand, all of our moms, all the moms. Moms, we're glad you're here, and my mom's watching, so mom, I love you. There you go. Mom always watched first service. So you and my mom, and she's in Oklahoma an hour behind us, so she's up early this morning watching. All right, our message today is stories from Luke. We're in stories from Luke, and I'm going to talk today about a specific word, the daughter. So um, this morning, I walked through the door, and I talked to two different people. The two people I talked to, both, I asked them how they're doing, I immediately had a conversation with them about some things that were just not easy in their life, right? Things that if, if I were to pull them up here and we were to talk about it, you'd be like, eww. Yet, when you walk past them day in, day out, you don't know those stories, do you? You know why you don't know those stories? Is because those are the stories we don't tell everybody. So, do you have a story that you don't want anybody to know about? Or the story that happened a long time ago that you're trying to not talk about? I remember sitting with my counselor. We were sitting there one day, and and, uh, he said to me, I just told him a story, and he said, what what would you say if that happened to one of your children? (laughs) That changed my whole world because I put it in a different context, a different filter. That was the day that sort of changed my world and I was able to deal with some stuff. Hmm. Do you have a hidden story? It was a story back in high school we don't talk about where uh, I was walking down the hallway being made fun of by every person in the high school. Wow. It's a rough week. That's all right. They were picking on somebody else next week. One day a guy came up to me and he had a picture. This is back in the day where people carried real pictures around. It wasn't a phone. And he walked up to me and he showed me something on on this picture, this little picture about this big. And he said, look at this. It's clean. It's my colon. (laughs) They're just some stories, some things I just don't need to see. And I don't need to see some dude's colon. Correct? But he, but he had a story attached to his colon. He had had colon cancer. And that was his first checkup that he was completely clean. There's a story. There's a story in the background for nearly everything we do and everything we say. And that's what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about what happens when the story that you hide comes out in the open. When the story that you run from has to be dealt with, when the story you have never healed from meets Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, would you open with me to Luke chapter 8? We're just going to stick in Luke 8 today. Luke 8, and would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? And I want to talk to you from God's Word today, Luke chapter 8. That's what happened. 
Luke 8, 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. He came and fell. Now, I've... All right, so can we slow down for a second? I have been spending a lot of time with this verse because I've known now... Honestly, the whole Luke series was sort of built around this passage. So I've been dealing with this passage for a long time. So there's a lot of little words in here that you haven't thought about. So what I want you to do as we're reading through it, open up your Bible if you got one on your phone, wherever you can find one. And, and if, especially if you got a hard copy, you might want to circle some words because there's some words in here that you just read right past that we're going to slow down and pay attention to. Y'all all right with that? All right. So there was a man named Jairus. He was a synagogue leader, and he came at, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' feet, pleading. What's his attitude? He is desperate. He is pleading. He is begging for Jesus to come to his house. Because what, what had this man in such a desperation? His what, daughter? Only, only daughter. So this is probably his only child. His only child, the way the Greek reads makes it pretty clear, this is his only child, a little girl. His daughter. And, and that's thugatar in the Greek. Thugatar. Daughter. A girl of about, how old was she? Twelve. Twelve. We'll talk about the significance of this word in a bit, but there's significance to the word twelve. And what was she doing? She was dying. So what do we know now? One sentence contains a lot of information, doesn't it? There was a guy named Jairus who was a synagogue ruler. So he had some position, importance. He was a devout, godly person. And we know that he had how many daughters? One. And she was 12 and she was dying. Wow, you guys know a lot. Now, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Anybody ever been in like a crowd crowd? I, I remember years ago, I went to this concert, and um, I don't know if you've ever been to that kind of concert, but there were all these guys, like in this little space, and they were bouncing, then they started bouncing into each other, and anybody ever been to a space like that? All right, because in that crowd, to hear the word, somebody touch me, <laughs> would be a stupid statement. That's kind of, all right, there was a crowd crushing him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for how long? Twelve. So the woman, we have a number attached to her, which is? And the girl, the daughter, we have a number attached to her, which is? All right, I just want you to pay attention. Um, and no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? <laughs> Jesus asked. And they all denied it. Nobody touched him. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, somebody touch me. Sounds sort of weird, huh? Yeah, this, all right, in Mark, the same story is told in Mark. In Mark chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who it was. Somebody touched him, but this was different than all the other touches because he said, I know that power has gone out of me. I wish I had time to break that down. Think about it. I'm going to come back. We're going to circle around most of these thoughts, but this one I'm not going to have time. So let me just say this. What would it, power came out of Jesus so much so that somebody touched him and he felt power for healing leave him? Anyway. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, <laughs> Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. He was going to call this out, whether she wanted it or not. Came trembling and what did she do now? Hmm. Somebody else falling at his feet? Okay. She fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people. In the presence of all the people. The things she kept hidden 
was now pulled out into the light. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, key word for today, what did he say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone, while Jesus was still speaking, this didn't happen in segments, this happened at that moment, while he was still saying this, somebody from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. On hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, so he turned to Jairus, and he said, catch this, don't be afraid, just believe, she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except who? Peter, John, and James. And then the child's when the child's father and mother. So there were five people that went with Jesus. Six people in the room plus the girl. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. You're giving me a headache. No. <laughs> it's not in the passage. It should be. Stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. They knew she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. We'll talk about what Mark says about it in a second. But my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Interesting. Hey, she needs some breakfast. And her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Father, I pray that today the reading of your word would be blessed. Several months ago, you spoke to me that we need to, uh, in the Greek, anagonosko, we need to read aloud the scripture. They need to be heard. We need to stop and think about them. And Father, I pray that as I read this text this morning, this morning, that you would speak to the hearts of the people in this room. And as we endeavor to open this text and see some of the truths here, that our hearts would be open to the truth you have for us. And that, Father, today, your word would speak to our hearts and we would be changed. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, before you're seated, you've got to smile at somebody real big, give them a high five, just let them know that they are loved. And if you're not getting a high five online, here you go. All right, if somebody doesn't high five you, you let me know. I'll put the whole church through sensitivity training. Everybody, everybody needs a high five. Did anybody not get a high five? Somebody not smile at you? Come on. Everybody needs to be smiled at this morning. All right. There, y'all got a minute? Y'all got a minute? Y'all mind if I open up the scriptures to you? You got two miracles in the story. First miracle is Jairus' daughter. What do we know about Jairus? We know he was a synagogue leader. A man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, it says. Um, that is a layperson whose job it was to make sure the synagogue was taken care of. Now, a synagogue consisted of 10 adult Jewish males. Um, if you had 10, you could have a synagogue. They could have up to 50, 60. A synagogue leader means that he was responsible for making sure the building was there and the building was open. Man, I've been praying for a while for God to give us a building and grounds person here. I'm praying, praying. God's going to call somebody, and that's going to be their job. Uh, but, but anyway, i just tossing that out there. I'm praying. Somebody that knows how to fix stuff and is as OCD as me. I don't think that person exists. Anyway, all that to say... He was, he, he was not a guy that made his living doing this. He made his living doing something else. But he devoted himself to make sure that this place was well taken care of. He was responsible for the scrolls, the order of service. He had a job. You, you could say he was sort of like the local pastor of about 40, 30 to 40 adult males in the community that he was in. All right? Why does that matter? Because everybody in the community would have known him. Oh, y'all didn't get that. Everybody in the community would have known him. Everybody that ever went to synagogue would have interacted with him. And in this community, that would have been everybody. Almost everybody. So we know something about him. He, was, he had one daughter. How old was his daughter? Twelve. 
can I, can I just give you some history? I did a bunch of reading on this. Y'all all right if I just talk to you a little bit? Do you know 12 was when they pledged girls to be married back in those days? 12. Do you know why? Because they were about to hit what? The big P, right? The big puberty is about to hit. So when girls started uh, becoming able to have children, they would often pledge them to be married. That marriage, that time might take a couple of years before they actually got married. But it, most girls by, in those days were married by 15 to 16. You say, that sounds really cruel, until you realize that life expectancy was 34 years. Part of the problem with our longer life expectancy is people don't grow up now. Including adults. <laughs> we just don't grow up. We don't have a responsibility. There's no like deadline. Uh, you know, we think we're going to be here forever. And because of that, we've got a problem. Some of us just don't mature like we should. Uh, in those days, life was hard. And 12-year-old girls were expected to act more like adults than they were expected to act like raving, ranting teenage maniacs. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just acknowledging that our world has changed. I'm not calling things right or wrong here. I am saying this, though. It would be really, really nice if we expected 12-year-olds to act a little more adult than we do. And can I say something about you if you're a teenager? Can I say this? I expect you to act more adult than your culture does. I expect you to act like a young man or a young lady. I don't expect you to act like an idiot like everybody else in the world. I thought I'd get a couple amens out of that one. Because here's the deal. I expect you to be a lady or a man. We got enough punk kids in this world. You're going to like your life a whole lot better for a whole lot longer if you act like a man or a woman instead of a punk kid. And all the old people agree with me because we understand. So this was the age of puberty. She was probably, it was a pivotal point in her life. It was a, this was a big deal moment. And she was what? She was dying. This is urgent. This isn't just goof around a little bit. This is urgent. And on the way, Jesus says, okay, I'll go heal her. And on the way, could you boost me just a little bit? Could I get a little bit more because my voice still isn't 100%. So <clears throat> on the way to heal the girl, he gets stopped. He gets stopped. What do you think Jairus thought about this disturbance? Jesus is on the way to heal his girl, and all of a sudden he goes, somebody touch me. Come on, what would you think if you run up to Jesus, fall on your feet, and you're begging him to come heal your daughter? And he says, okay, we'll do it. And then on the way, he just stops and says, somebody touch me. I'm not going anywhere until I find out what happened. What would you think? Come on, you think you would say, Jesus, could we like move this along? I just finished reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I took my time reading it. It's a great book. I recommend it to you because most of us, we live so hurried that we don't actually live life. And Jesus stopped in a moment and took a moment when he needed to. All right, so we'll skip the whole story of the girl. We'll come back to the woman and uh, we'll just go right through that. And while Jesus is still speaking, uh, uh, Somebody shows up and says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother to teach her anymore. And Jesus gave a response. And I want us to pay attention to this response. The response is in Luke 8.50. And it says this. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, three things. You ready? Don't be afraid. Just believe. She will be healed. Now, I did translate the word healed, save there. Because the Greek word is soza. Remember us talking about a couple weeks ago? That soza... What does soza mean? Soza means to rescue from danger or bring to a state of safety and security. It's a theme in Luke. It's used over and over and over in Luke that the ultimate of an experience with Jesus brings you to a place not of Iameo where you're healed, but to soza where you are delivered body, soul, and spirit. And the quotation from Isaiah 53 verse 5, go striper all the way. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> 
By his stripes, we are what? Healed. We are totally, completely restored body, soul, and spirit. All right? Notice Jesus says to do three things. So if you're ever praying for a miracle, have no fear, only have faith, and you will experience the restoration. So uh, I don't know if you caught this last week, but Kevin Ramsby said that the opposite of faith is fear. That you can't trust God in fear and have faith at the same time. You have to let faith overcome your fear. You have to let faith overcome your fear. And that's, that's what he says to Jairus here. Is he says, I know she, they're saying she's dead. Don't be afraid of their report because I've got a different report. I know that they are saying there's no hope, but I am the God of hope. And I, I just want to encourage you. There's somebody in this room right now that you keep asking God for a miracle. And every time you ask him for something, you feel like God's not going to come through or there's no way he's big enough or this can't change. And I just want to tell you, what you need to do is rebuke and reject that fear and have faith in God who is able to raise the dead. And if he can raise the dead, there's nothing he can't do. And, and, and notice this last word. She will be saved. God doesn't want to just fix your problem. He wants to fix you. A lot of you are real concerned about your problem, but God wants and is concerned about you. He wants to fix you. He wants to save you. Body, soul, spirit, all of you. Not just the things that make you uncomfortable. He might even be using the things that make you uncomfortable to drive you to do what both of these people did, to fall at his feet and call out to him for the answer instead of just keeping on doing the same stupid thing over and over again. Hallelujah. All right. So what happened to Jairus' house? They get to Jairus' house, and he limits a group to Peter, James, and John. This is the first time, by the way, Jesus does this. All the rest, up until now, all 12 disciples have been present. This time he says, no, nah, and that's going to happen on Mount of Transfiguration. It's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is, is establishing there are these three dudes he's closer to than all the rest of them. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not... Oh, by the way, they all became key leaders in the church, didn't they? I'm just wondering if... Yeah, anyway... Uh, he didn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, and he said, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about asleep, asleep, like, oh, goodbye, baby. He's talking about, a, 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 he knew she was dead, but he's saying that it's sleep because he was going to wake her up. And by the way, this is the same um, if, if you will, the same symbolism that's used for us when we die. When we die, our bodies sleep because, well, we're still alive with Christ. And one of these days, he's going to have a doo -doo 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 trumpet call, and that DNA, if you got to eat by the fish and you're in the bottom of the sea, and the, every time we eat shrimp, we're thinking of you, you know, you fall out of, Grandpa fell out of a boat. <laughs> As long as there's a DNA somewhere, that trumpet call happens, you know what's going to happen? Boom, there's a heavenly body going to be restored. And, uh, and, and so he's calling us sleep. And he brings her back to life. I, I want you to notice the way this happened, though. Um, he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And what happened to bring her back to life? Her spirit returned to her. Her spirit returned her. Now, there must have been some physical healing. Whatever was going on with the body got healed too. But I want you to know that the number one thing Jesus did was brought his, her spirit back into her. Called her spirit back. And when he called her spirit back, at once she stood up, and then he, Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And uh, Mark actually records the Aramaic words that are spoken here. Because the average person in those days did not speak Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic. So Aramaic, Paul, Mark says it in uh, Mark 5.41. He said, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Talitha means child. Kum is an imperative verb. 
It's time to get up. It's time to get up. <clears throat> what did your parents say to you? What do you say to your kids when they're asleep? Was it wake up sleepyhead? Rise and shine? Good morning, beautiful? Up and at them? Or if you don't get it out of bed, I'm going to pour cold water on you. What was it? What did Jesus say? He said, Talitha kum. Get up, little girl. And then he says, give her food. Reminds me of my favorite words I used to say to my kids. When I would go up and I would wake them up, I would say to my little girl, I would say, hey, sweetheart, time to get up. Breakfast is ready. Hey, sweetheart, time to get up. Breakfast is ready. I remember saying that hundreds of times to my daughter. Miracle number two. Oh, by the way, it's hard. It's hard doing this because she's going to get married next month. <laughs> my little baby girl. Anyway, miracle number two, the bleeding woman. The bleeding woman. Now, this woman seems to be inconsequential to the first story, but I don't think so. I don't believe God makes mistakes, and I think this woman's interspersion into Jairus' story is on purpose and is powerful. So let's look at that story. Luke chapter... Are, are y'all still awake with me? Y'all are a little quiet with me. Are you following me? Right, nudge somebody, tell them to wake up, because this is the really good part right here. This story is intentional by God. God set this up, not the author. I, I did a lot of reading on this, and I found that most of the commentators want to say, well, there's pattern and system to the composition of this story, and the use of 12, and the use of daughter, and the use of the story is to intersperse them to make a, a, a symmetrical A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. There's a four pattern and all that. And I look at the passage, and I realize, yes, it's there, except for one problem. You ready for this? It wasn't the author that stuck this story in there and stuck the normal, the words in there. It wasn't the author. It wasn't Mark or Luke that did this. It was God himself and Jesus Christ that did this. This story is not a writing symbol. The story is an actual story that actually happened this actual way so that God could do something, and I don't want to dismiss, dismiss it as a writing style of the author, even though I do see in the surrounding stories, they compiled the stories on purpose, and I wish I had time to give you that, but I want you to know this story was compiled this way by God who sent the woman with the issue of blood that day while this guy needed a miracle. Are y'all following me? Let's not dismiss the divine alignment of this story to catch what's going on. Jesus was on the way and the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who, had, who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Now, in Mark, there's a, there's a statement that's not in Luke, and if you've got one of those Bibles that have text notes down, it's going to have a text note, and it's going to say, some manuscripts include, and it's going to include something like, she had spent all she had on doctors, yet no one could heal her. Now, that's in Mark, but it's not in Luke. I wonder why Luke, the doctor, would not include... Because he had a Mercedes that he needed to make payments on, and, he, and I'm sorry... I'm all for medical care, but come on. Can we just face the facts that somebody's getting rich <laughs> and it ain't me? And it probably in the doctors these days, it's the insurance company, but that's a different story. Anyway, all that to say, uh, this woman was at, well, there's a couple things we know about this woman. It says this woman was at the end of a rope. She was at the end. I, I rewrote it for my notes. If, if I were to rewrite this, I would say she was at rock bottom. I believe we have a slide. For, do we have a slide for that? The woman was at the end 
of her rope. She was at the rock bottom. You know what I always say about rock bottom? When you get to rock bottom, that's where you find the rock. And some of you, you hadn't found rock yet because you hadn't got to rock bottom. You, you're not disgusted enough with your sin to actually reach down and touch the rock that never moves. You're still trying to flail away and stay afloat. So, so he, she's at the end of a rope. It's been a long time. It's been 12 years. She spent her entire livelihood. She has no money left. <laughs> she's still sick. It, this has been bad. She... She's at the end. For, do you realize that? Hold on. Um, well, let's go to the next one. The next slide says that she broke the rules to get her healing. Part of the reason she was at rock bottom is Leviticus, or Numbers says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come to you or make tassels. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's the wrong passage. Can you go back? Um, sorry. She broke the rules to get her healing. I thought I'd included the text that said, if you have an, a flow of blood from you, if a woman is unclean, and if a woman who is in her monthly uncleanness or has a flow of blood from them, it, it is, if they touch somebody, they make them unclean. And that was a big rule in those days because everybody wanted to be clean because you couldn't go to synagogue, you couldn't go to worship, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't get right with God, you couldn't have a relationship with your family, you couldn't, nobody could touch you because you were isolated, and this woman for 12 years is isolated from physical touch, from inclusion, from love, from affection, from relationships. She's excluded for 12 years, and she spent everything she has. How much? everything. And the doctors, they, they take all the money and she's got no money left. She's got nothing. This woman is at the end of her rope. But she broke the rules to get to Jesus because there was a crowd. You remember the crowd? The crowd is pressing and pressing and pressing. What does she do? She's elbowing her way through the crowd. What's she doing to every person she elbows her way through? She's making, she's touching them, she's making them unclean. And she did so, so she could reach out and touch. In your ver version of the Bible, it says, touch the hem of his garment or touch the edge of his robe. But Numbers 15 explains what she was touching, what she was reaching for. Numbers 15, verse 38 says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel, and you will have these tassels to look at so you will remember the commands of the Lord that you may obey them. These tassels, if you were a good Jewish man, you had a garment you would throw over your shoulder, not down here at the bottom. It was something you would throw over your shoulder, and it would have tassels that would hang about right here, and these tassels would have a blue cord in them, and these were your, you would pray as you pray, you would touch the tassels as a reminder of God's goodness as love. And, and these are called, became known as prayer tassels. And, and that was a, what she was saying is I'm going to fight through to touch Jesus's prayer. And when she reached out and she touched the Jesus was probably in front of her, and it was probably the tassel here. I can just see the picture in my head. She reaches out, and she touches it. She just touches it. And when she does, I wish I understood this, power literally went out of the body of Jesus through a touch of his prayer tassel and went into her body and physically healed her so that the bleeding for 12 years stopped. Whew. What does it mean? We used to sing a song back when I was a kid, reach out and touch the Lord. Does anybody remember that song? As he goes by, you'll find he's not too busy to answer your cry. He is passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. Anybody remember that song? Yeah? We sing some... They, they weren't great music, but they were some great messages. I, I wonder if there's anybody in the room today, you need to reach out 
and touch Jesus. Huh. So she exemplified the resilient faith that Jairus needed. What's going on in this story? Jairus' daughter is dying. His only daughter is dying. He, Jesus is on the way to heal her, and on his way to heal her, there's this stop in action. I don't know how long this stop in action happened, but if it was, no matter what, this guy came back from the house of Jairus and meets them in the stop of action, the daughter is already dead, and he journeys to, back to where Jesus is. So the daughter was probably already dead when Jairus fell on his feet, fell at Jesus' feet. You following this? And that message was going to come. It's amazing to me that the message happened at the exact moment of the ending of pronouncement of faith through the woman with the issue of blood. It's sort of like God set up Jairus to say, I can do this, I can do that. There's an example of faith here. Have faith. Don't fear, she will be saved. The woman is a living object lesson to Jairus. And that's the reason you need to hear stories of salvations. You need to hear stories of miracles and healings and things like that. And I, I found one. Can I read you one? Especially for Mother's Day. Lily Dunlany, 36, was in the first trimester of her pregnancy. Uh, with the couple's third child, when the family physician told her and her husband, Benjamin, that they had health complications with the baby. Anybody ever heard those stories? Yeah, really now, they really like to do all this research on your baby in the first trimester and tell you all about the baby. In the first trimester. The doctor warned that the best case scenario would be delivering a baby with severe cerebral palsy. More likely, according to the doctor, the baby would be born with severe deformities, no brain, and unable to survive. How many times have I heard that story? Out of ladies in their first, first trimester? A couple, couple sought a second medical opinion and they received the same diagnosis. Both doctors urged the expectant parents they needed to terminate the pregnancy. I wonder if there's an agenda going on here. You need to abort the baby is what everybody said. Right, wrong, or different. We can ask those questions, right? We do live in a world that we're allowed to ask questions. Oh, anyway. The Delaney's who lived in Drain, Oregon where Benjamin worked as a youth pastor, struggled with the news about the baby they already loved and wanted. Fear ran rampant, causing the couple to fight. And one day while arguing, Benjamin said God silenced them when he put Daniel 3, 17 and 18 into their conversation. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, your majesty, we want you to know we're not going to bow. And in that moment, they decided, no matter what this baby is, we're going to love and trust God regardless. No abortion, no option. God gave this child. We're going to love this child. And they said, even if our son lived only long enough for us to hold him, we would not bow to the spirit of abortion, Benjamin says. We decided we would be anchored in God. Well, apparently they kept taking tests and all the tests said the same thing. The tests all said the baby would be born without a brain. If they did have a brain, they would be so deformed it would not survive outside the womb. As soon as Lily gave birth, the attending physician whisked the little boy away from her parents and even got a, before the parents even got a look at him. From across the room, the Delaney surprisingly heard the laughter of the doctor. Keyword, laughter. The doctor brought the baby over to the parents, told them the baby was perfectly healthy, no deformities, and no markers for cerebral palsy. So the couple named the child Isaac. He laughs. That's what Isaac means, he laughs. Isaac is now five years old, 
and in Benjamin's words, the most adventurous child I have ever seen. God is able to do the impossible. Doesn't matter what the doctors say. Doctors are still practicing medicine, but it is God that does the healing. I read that story because I wanted you to hear a miracle today. All right? The story we're in, there's more to the story. Let's just lay this out. The woman has an issue of blood. That means that something in her uterus or something in that area is not working right. And it has not worked right for 12 years. She has been bleeding for 12 years. She is not able to give birth to children. She is, well, that's key. She's not able to give birth to children for 12 years. By the way, how old was the girl? The two things happened about the same time. The conception of the other girl and the loss of the ability to conceive happened about the same time. And by the way, they lived in the same community and he was a public figure, so she would have known. What's going on in her I, I, don't, I don't have a full understanding here, but I want you to see there's something more to this story. And the markers are there because the whole key word in this passage is daughter and 12 and saved. It's like one story is laid on the other story on purpose because there was something hidden in this woman with the issue of blood that started about the time Jairus got his promise and now Jairus is losing his promise right as she's seeking healing. There's something in this story. What was it that caused her to bleed? What was it? Did she lose hope? Did something happen to her? Did she get jealous and live 12 years with angst and jealousy over the leader getting? By the way, he was probably the one, said the commentaries, that declared her physically unclean. So did she have hatred for him? What's going on? Just good questions to ask. Whatever was going on, Jesus didn't let her continue in it. You see this a lot with Jesus. Luke 8, 45, who touched me, he said. Who touched me? Jesus asked, and they all denied it. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Jesus said, oh, 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 no, no. Somebody touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And the woman said, then the woman, seeing she couldn't keep hiding. Whatever it was, she couldn't keep hiding. She came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told her story. And when she brought it out into the light, in that moment, why did Jesus make her come out and talk? Because in that moment, he not only healed her body, but he saved her. He restored her. He gave her back what was destroyed within her for 12 years. He brought not only healing to this part of her body, but to this part of her body and this part of her body. She is forced to reject. Can you? Yeah. She is forced to reject her rejection. She is forced to reject her rejection. Come on, I don't know what happened, when it happened, or how it happened, or who it happened with. But she is forced to reject her rejection to step into her new future. And that same Jesus is in this room today. Luke 8, 48. Then Jesus said to her, there's a, the whole story centered around one word. Guitar. Then he said to her, to the woman with the issue of blood, remember, he was on the way to heal somebody else's daughter, and he gets stopped to heal this daughter. 
And he turned to her, and the only time in the entire New Testament Jesus calls somebody daughter, the only time, he turns to her and says, you're my girl. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go live in new peace. It was, um, it was years and years ago. Actually, we were figuring out the year today. It was 1997. It was um, in the spring of the year. Uh, we were meeting in um, the old warehouse at the corner of Center Ridge and Jaycox. And uh, we were celebrating communion that morning. And I did something really weird that morning. During communion, I turned to my then only associate pastor and I said, you've got communion in the middle of service. This is not something I do. We plan things around here, all right? Because I believe God can talk on Tuesday as well as he can on Sunday. All right? But I, I wouldn't have done this. But in the middle of service, I'm like, you've got communion. And I walked out the back door. I didn't need to go to the bathroom. I didn't need to do anything. I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea why I did it. But I walked out the back door and I hung a right. And there were double doors there. And on this side was the kids. When he walked through the double doors, there was an entrance here. And then the kids were right here, the, the babies. My son was in the baby nursery. Opened up the door and I heard it as soon as the door opened. Wah! I walked into the nursery. Marge Pope was there, Miss Marge was holding Pastor Matt then, then he was just little Matt. And as always, he was doing what he always did, ran crazy. And when he was running crazy, he tripped over somebody and he fell and hit one of those hard tables. Back in the days we had hard wooden tables. And he hit one of the hard wooden tables right here when he fell. And there was a gash in his eye when I walked through the door, blood was coming out of it. I picked him up. I held him, calmed him down, got to look at his eye. Yeah, you're going to need stitches, but I've got to preach. So you want to be a pastor, huh? You just try that one one day. Your kid needs stitches, but you got to go take care of what's going on in the body. We got the blood stopped. got it under control. I went back, preached the message. At the end of the message... Uh, Robin took the other kid home. I took Matt to the hospital. We go to St. John West Shore. St. John West Shore, they have all single rooms, except for this one. I still don't know where it is, and I've been in St. John West Shore years and years. We go in, and there is one room that had our bed here and another bed here, and they had to enter this way to get in. So a bed here, a bed here, and they had to enter this way. And this bed was me and Matt, and this bed back here was a girl by herself. She was about 14 years old and she had tried to kill herself that morning. So we just happened to walk in at that time for him to get stitches in his eye for me to be in the only double room in the entirety of St. John to hear a 14-year-old girl's story about trying to kill herself that morning. Well, if you think I'm going to sit in that room and not talk to that girl, you don't know me very well. So I begin to share with her about the love of Jesus Christ. And as I begin to share it with her, the Holy Spirit spoke to me a word. The word I spoke to her was, I don't know her whole story. I said, you don't have a good relationship with your father, but I want you to know something. You have a father a heavenly father that loves you more than you see I love my son when I said that the dam broke tears fell she confessed she'd never known her father except for a short time of abuse and she'd never heard from a male in her life that she was loved and I told her that God, her father, loved her for the first time. Now, some of you are going through a situation like Jairus, and you have no idea why it's happening to you. 
But Pastor Matt to this day carries a scar on his eye so a little girl could hear about Jesus' love. And some of you, your situation is you're going through something so that the love of Jesus can be displayed through your situation. And there are others of you. You're Jesus' daughter or son. And he set up for you to be here today, for you to hear. Hold on. The only time Jesus said it, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I wanted to preach a different kind of message because I'm not always this heavy. But this message just keeps popping out. That we got some daughters in this place that you need to know of your father's love. We got some sons in this place you need to know of your father's love. We got some people in some situations in this place you need to know that what's going on is you may be gyrus, you may be suffering so that somebody else can be free. And I wanted to draw you this moment to recognition. This final quote. You ready? I read this. On his way to heal Jairus' dying daughter, Jesus stops to care for one of his daughters. On his way to heal somebody else's daughter. The whole story is about daughters. No matter what, Jesus loves you. He notices you. He cares for you. Here's what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to have some prayer people up here. They're going to be up here, prayer people. They're going to be here to pray. And if you want somebody to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. If you like that woman with the issue of blood, you need to step out and you need to come to this altar. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to invite you to do it. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come over here. Your, your father loves you. Somebody over here is going to pray with you to lead you to Jesus. You want to pray by yourself, be left alone, come to these altars. But I'm going to ask you to stand. They're going to sing a song. As they sing that song, if you need to reach out and touch Jesus today, he's here. Just reach out and do it.